Blog Talk Radio. on the Blog Talk Radio and Affiliate Networks, and we are live atop the downtown Renaissance Hotel in the nation's capital, beautiful D.C., and we are sitting here with my colleagues, we being me, Greg Masters, your co-host and uh, principal engineer tonight, and we're dealing with some interesting issues, tech issues, uh, with Fred Goldstein. Hi, Fred. How are you doing, Greg? And my colleague, Doug Goldstein, eFuturist. How are you, Doug? Hi, Greg. Hi, Fred. Hello. Okay, so what we're doing here is uh, somewhat of a post-mortem, if you will, if I can use those terms, for the 16th annual gathering of the Population Health Alliance. And we just completed really two and a half days of pretty awesome events. So we're going to do a impromptu roundtable here of key takeaways and what it's like being here in the nation's capital amidst uh, sort of a sea of innovators in the pop health space. So let me turn it over to my colleague, Mr. Fred Goldstein, who is the co-founder of Pop Health Week, my co-host here on the weekly broadcast of Pop Health Week. So, Fred, you're a current board member, past immediate chair of the board of PHA. First up, let's talk a little bit about what is PHA and what are we doing here? Sure. So first, let me also correct that. While postmortem might be a term typically used, this conference was really rather lively, had some great content, and obviously we'll get into that. But the Population Health Alliance is an uh, international trade association focused on the whole area of population health and seeking to advance the use of population health principles throughout the healthcare industry. Uh, And it does that through three key areas. The first being convening, which we saw over the last two and a half days, bringing together thought leaders, the opportunity to network, learn about what vendors are doing, and obviously seek to advance the field by understanding some of the science around population health. The second thing they do is uh, in the area of advocacy and the Population Health Alliance is uh, very strong in this area, working at the federal level. And this past year, as they reported out here at the forum, they worked on some interesting issues, including the recent EEOC issues associated with wellness programs, um, provided some very good thought leadership on the Hill and to the various agencies regarding that. Also working on other issues such as telemedicine, which is so important as that tries to expand out and looking at some of the laws regarding the use of telemedicine across state lines, et cetera and other areas that came up during the year on behalf of our members. And then the third area they focused on is really quality and research, where our members come together to write um, key thought learning pieces. Uh, we've had the outcomes guidelines since uh, version 5 in 2010 was published. And at this conference, we actually version 6, which is an update and includes ICD-10 and some of the other codes in it. And it's really the go-to Um, standard document to use when looking at how do you measure the outcomes of various types of population health programs. So those are the three key areas focused on on behalf of our members, and our members include organizations such as provider groups, health plans, 
uh, vendors, data analytics companies, mobile health companies, wellness vendors, et cetera. It's a pretty broad group uh, and a, a really a great group to get along with. And if you're interested in the Population Health Alliance, obviously you can go to populationhealthalliance.org and find out much more information on membership. So thanks. And uh, so this um, population health is, as we've discussed before in this broadcast, is, is somewhat of a uh, buzzword currently. But um, this organization has been around for quite a while. In fact, this is the 16th annual gathering. Talk about the genesis of the association. So, uh, yeah, 16 years for this, this particular conference, but in fact, the Population Health Alliance was started in 1999 as the Disease Management Association of America. And uh, really, when a number of vendors and others came together and said, we need to begin to share best practice, understand what the science is, and seek to advance uh, disease management. And over the years, as the disease management industry expanded into uh, the front-end wellness and, and lifestyle management, as well further the other direction towards end-of-life management, we really recognized that we were a population health-based organization and that the principles that were originally developed in the disease management industry could be applied to population health and the whole framework of identify, assess, stratify, engage, intervene, and measure, which is outlined in the uh, outcomes guidelines, really fits in the population health space. So it's been through a couple of name changes, but it's still built on a strong history of leadership in, in both the thought leadership, advocacy, and uh, getting together to network uh, that was first exhibited when the organization was founded. So let's step back a little bit and talk about the agenda because that's what we're here to uh, highlight in terms of some of the key takeaways. Let's talk about some of the people that we've actually uh, had the opportunity to hear over these last two and a half days. So had some uh, great speakers. We started off early on with our Executive Leadership Institute, which is always a pre-conference um, gathering, usually a half day. Uh, this week it was a half day in the afternoon on Monday, and it covered a number of topics, including um, uh, incentives and the EEOC issues with a roundtable talking about that. Uh, Michael Dermer, who many may recognize originally from Incent One and a real leader in the field of incentives and their use in various population health-based uh, programs, was part of that panel and has been very um, active in the advocacy space on that issue of EEOC uh, wellness program approval. Um, during that day, we also had the ending of that day was with the great debate between uh, Ron Getzel, a noted researcher at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, and Al Lewis, um, the author of Why No One Believes the Number and uh, No One Believes the Numbers and a number of other uh, pieces and book and another book as well. And uh, it was a very spirited uh, discussion of whether wellness has an ROI um, and whether population health uh, does in fact achieve uh, cost savings, and uh, led to. Uh, uh, what I thought were some very good questions from the audience, et cetera, and we'll probably get into some of that as well. And then we get to the formal conference, which began Tuesday morning, and we have some keynote sessions that go along with that. So the day opened up with Eleanor Clift and Mark Siegel, uh, Eleanor in particular, a, a noted journalist, and they were discussing the election, as well as its potential impact on health care, and uh, particularly the ACA, and what we might look for in the coming election, and their thoughts on who might obviously win that and what their thoughts might be around how they want to take health care in the United States on a go-forward basis. So we're going to give you a breather because you've been a pretty busy guy. So <laughs> sitting to my left here, virtual left, is my colleague, Eve Futures, Douglas Goldstein, and he's also been active here with Health Innovation Media, doing a number of interviews, plus participating proactively 
in a number of these sessions. So, Doug, uh, thought leadership here in population health, what were some of your takeaways? Well, I've been involved for the last five years, both as a presenter and, and a judge at the conferences. So it, it strikes me that all the sessions were evidence-based. We saw actual evidence on programs that were working and lessons learned on how to improve them. And that's invaluable for anybody in the ACL world or the health care or this new emerging area of providers helping employers reduce costs. The, the knowledge, insights, and evidence is unsurpassed in other conferences around population health because of the long history of this organization and the focus on what works and what doesn't work. So let me just uh, step in and talk about my key takeaway. Some of the things I really enjoyed was, in fact, on the pre-conference, the uh, Executive Leadership Institute was the interaction between Ron Getzel and, uh, and Al Lewis. Now, this is a controversial issue. Uh, um, uh, Al Lewis is a, is a blunt instrument against the claims that have been made in the in the wellness space, of which there's uh, probably uh, evidence-based uh, justification for some of the skepticism. And he went up against Ron Getzel, who is a, a thought leader, an academic, a researcher, and there was a very interesting exchange. And what came out of that was we talked about and leaned into this initiative called the Validation Institute. And this reminded me back in 2013 at the M Health Summit, where the theme was, we're in the validation de decade. There's this tsunami of digital health applications. There's this tsunami of claims made by vendors in the solution space, speaking into and offering solutions into the, the critical problems associated with delivering in the space. And uh, the Validation Institute emerged as sort of a J.D. Powers, a good housekeeping seal of approval to put a stamp on whether certain claims, contractual or otherwise, are in fact valid. So I was very impressed with this, uh, at times, tense exchange between Al Lewis and Ron, which was masterfully facilitated by my colleague Fred here. So I was very energized by that. Energized by that. So Fred, what was your experience as you sat in the middle of this crossfire? It was it was a great exchange. I thought at times we uh, maybe approached some personalization that we should have. Uh, sought to avoid and were able to pull that back, but it really was a good exchange. And I think Al has raised valid issues about some of the reported data. Clearly, there are results that have been put out there either on websites or otherwise that just don't stand up to muster. But on the other side of this, there are also clearly studies that have been published that show that you can achieve value on investment and uh, particularly as you move further up into the population health space and begin to look at care management and chronic disease management, can we receive a return on investment? So I enjoyed the discussion. I think, um, I don't know that we changed some people's minds. I think others sort of leaned one way or the other as they finished up. But overall, I thought it was a great event and uh, it really kind of kicked off for the Population Health Alliance why we're in this business. If you're not testing yourself, if you're not looking to see if this stuff really is valid or not, then what are you there for? Because we've got to obviously constantly be advancing the industry, and the only way to do that is to question what you've done in the past. It, well, it's clear to me that ROI is only one of the components we have to judge in these programs. It's the right thing to do in a workplace that's trying to increase 
the happiness and productivity of workers that the employers can say we care about you and we're trying to support you know positive changes in your life so ROI is clearly one point that we need to track but we have to recognize that there's qualitative value to these programs in the workplace and you also hit on another really good issue Doug, which is this idea that you need to do programs with your employees and for your employees, not to your employees. And I think that also came across loud and clear that perhaps in the past, and maybe even today, I don't know, obviously, every program out there, but programs that are done to employees are just nowhere near what needs to be done, particularly as we look further in the conference and begin discuss things like culture of health. Well, in the era of crowdsourcing, we have to involve our workers and create uh, unified and democratic workplaces. So uh, any of these programs need to have a core leadership from, from the workers across an organization supportive. This can't be an HR-led initiative. Right, and also I found it interesting that we did have some of the individuals, for example, from Penn State or the AARP, as well as researchers at other organizations uh, bring up personal experience and other issues and uh, address some of the boundaries that perhaps need to be in place to ensure that these programs are appropriate, that they're evidence-based, that they're designed with and for the employees, and that they're keeping private that which needs to be kept private so that, that individuals can truly be in an environment that's, that creates that culture of health that's appropriate to work in and is not... Um, laying a, a heavy burden on them from the, say, corporate management. So bottom line, Fred, is there an ROI to wellness? Yes. Oh, that was Doug. That was Doug. So I think, you know, I think in terms of wellness the um, or those lifestyle issues, it, I think the jury's out depending upon length of time of the program. And the other issue that's really interesting is when you've seen one program, you've seen one program. And so to, to throw it all out on the basis of one, in fact, the, the proof of the matter that wellness probably works is the fact that Al himself has launched a company in the space, Clivify, which he believes will show outcomes and, and, and show an ROI. Um, and so if he believes there's a piece of it that works, then, then there should be other pieces of this that work too. So I think there's, a, there's more research done. Uh, it was interesting, the comments from uh, David Cutler regarding the Baker study in which uh, we were able to get those comments that, he, that they stand by that study today as much as they did when they first put it out. So the other thing that struck me is we're at the 50th anniversary of the Medicare program, and being in D.C., we had uh, general... Uh, access to some of the federal federalistas, so to speak, and uh, one of whom was Dr. William Rogers. He gave a really excellent sort of contextual background into the evolution of the Medicare and Medicaid program, seeding its sort of sausage nature legislatively. And as I was listening to this guy, I went, my God, this is exactly what we just went through over the Affordable Care Act. I mean, so it's like nothing's really changed in the last 50 years in terms of this this ideological crossfire. Yes, and there's also, I agree, it, you know, what they went through back in the 60s to put that in place and then going through it again with the ACA. I also found it fascinating when he talked about sort of how they're 
um, handcuffed by by law into what they can and can't do and can and can't impact. And if you've got part A and part B and how they're two separate deals, trying to create systems out of some of that. So clearly that made me think about this idea of what else do we need to potentially do from a, 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 a law perspective or a regulatory perspective to make it easier to get done what it is we need to get done. He also talked about that whole concept of you can't incent or disincent people around their health, but clearly we're trying to help drive behavior. And so is that something that maybe CMS is looking at a little closer now? So, Doug, you, you've got standing in the gamification conversation. You've got standing in the M-Health conversation. You also have standing in the behavioral economics conversation. So what did you extract from the last two and a half days in terms of your key takeaways? Well, the key takeaway is that our customer, the people we serve and their families, um, how they use mobile devices is rapidly changing. Uh, some people prefer texting. Other people want apps. We're re-engineering entire life through these mobile devices. So the big takeaway is uh, there's really not a good understanding on how to connect with people. And the term engagement is overused, and what we really have to move to is sustained dialogue. And that really is going to come from a trusted party. And the trust quotient between doctors, hospitals, and health plans and ACOs, which uh, are, are all very different. So it's, it's a great new frontier. And the biggest issue is that the hospitals and the health plans are sitting there with transaction information technology systems that are not geared for relationship management. And the executives of all the organizations understand that, but we're saddled with billions of dollars investment in transaction systems that don't really play well when you're trying to manage relationships as this industry goes from a wholesale industry to a direct-to-consumer relationship structure. So we've talked about the population health framework, the PHA framework for pop health and measurement and so forth, and we've also touched on a little bit about this emerging precision health space. So one of the questions is, particularly as principally maybe argued by Eric Topol is he talks about there's opposition between these two camps, yet some think that they're actually quite compatible, and either one of you want to speak to compatibility or issue? There's no conflict. I mean, precision medicine is a new tool. It's a new diagnostic and, and treatment tool, and we develop new tools and technologies all the time to care for patients whether we're caring for individuals that are part of populations or not. So I, I don't see any conflict at all in our drive for improving uh, population health. Yeah, Greg, I'd have to say I agree completely with what Doug just said, that if you think about the framework, if the framework for population health is identify, assess, and we'll stop right there, precision medicine is an assessment tool, a great, potentially great one to be able to understand what that individual uniquely needs. And then you take that precision medicine tool and you then use it to help stratify and select the appropriate intervention for that individual. You change populations one person at a time. Well, thank you, Fred. And, and we actually have a rather abbreviated postmortem here. Sorry to use those words. But uh, we would like to extend a shout-out for all the sponsors of, um, of the PHA Forum. Uh, Fred, would you like to mention a few? 
Yes, uh, obviously, Aetna has been a great supporter of the Population Health Alliance, as has Interactive Health and Health Dialogue for this year's forum. Um, we also had Health Fitness, Mayo was here as well, and uh, well represented by Hooper Holmes and others. And Health Dialogue and Accenture as well. And uh, PHA is a lean organization. I believe it's two and a half FTE company. We'd like to say thank you so much to Cindy, Cindy DeClerc and Allison King. Yes. Yeah, yeah as well as uh, also Karen Mosley, who serves as our Director of Quality and Research. So with that, check us out on the web or check uh, PHA out on the web at www.populationhealthalliance.org. And for Doug Goldstein, for Fred Goldstein, this is the third Goldstein, Greg Master saying, bye now. Talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.